that there will be turmoil, there will be hiring freezes. That generally happens every every election. As soon as somebody comes in, we're going to have a hiring freeze. So you really have to plan ahead now with your budget and whatever you know that you have to say, you know what, I'm not going to wait until fall time to do this hire. I need to get these things in place now. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, an interview with former Deputy Federal CIO Maria Rowe. From AI adoption and FedRAMP updates to the evolution of the TMF, this episode's got it all. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The General Services Administration and the White House's Office of Management and Budget together updated the repayment policy for agencies that are seeking to receive financial assistance from the Technology Modernization Fund. GSA shared in an email to lawmakers that was acquired by FedScoop that it had updated the TMF's repayment policy to reflect a new, consistent repayment floor with a minimum of 50% repayment, with rare exceptions decided by the GSA Administrator and OMB Director. The update is meant to continue allowing the fund to invest in technology and cybersecurity modernization for years to come, the email states, adding that it applies to all proposals submitted after February 6. The requirements reflect the Modernizing Government Technology Reform Act of 2023, introduced by Representatives Nancy Mace and Jerry Connolly in September of 2023. The bill would require agencies to adhere to the intent of the original bill that created the TMF in 2017, the Modernizing Government Technology Act, and hold agencies accountable for any funds issued to be repaid or reimbursed to maintain solvency and ensure sustainability. In other news, the Department of Commerce last week announced a new consortium for AI safety with participation from more than 200 companies and organizations. This comes as the Biden administration continues its push to develop guardrails for the technology. The consortium is part of the National Institute of Standards and Technology's AI Safety Institute and will contribute to actions outlined in President Joe Biden's October AI executive order, the department said in an announcement. That will include the creation of guidelines for red teaming, capability evaluations, risk management, safety and security, and watermarking synthetic content, the agency said. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo said at a press conference announcing the consortium that the job of the consortia is to ensure that the AI Safety Institute's research and testing is fully integrated with the broad community. The work that the Safety Institute is doing can't be done in a bubble separate from industry and what's happening in the real world, she added. Raimondo also highlighted the range of participants in the consortium, calling it the largest collection of frontline AI developers, users, researchers, and interested groups in the world. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. Daily Scoop listeners will undoubtedly be very familiar with the body of work of this episode's guest. She's a former deputy federal CIO, CIO of the Small Business Administration, and CTO of the Transportation Department, among the many other roles she's held during her vast career in federal IT before retiring in 2022. Of course, I'm speaking of the one and only Maria Rote. Now serving in several board roles, Rote is still fairly active advising in the federal IT space, in our conversation, we discuss what she's focused on since departing federal service, 
how she sees the government going about adoption of artificial intelligence, how agency IT leaders must be thoughtful in balancing AI security and user experience, and much, much more. Maria, it's so good to see you. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Billy. It's been a little while since it I've has. seen you and talked with you. This is great. <laughs> it's great to catch up. And uh, you, uh, I think probably the last time we spoke, you were on the inside of the federal government in the office of the federal CIO. And uh, you've since retired from federal federal service. But I would love to start a conversation today by letting the, the listeners know what, what you're up to, to these days, you know, catch us up on uh, the life of Maria wrote post federal government. Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you what, it's been great. Um, <laughs> I took several months off and just kind of stepped away from the federal government. And pretty much everybody told everybody go away for a while. Yes. Um, but I've since hung out my shingle. Um, and um, I actually uh, drew the line at like 30% doing things. I'll put work in quotes, right? Quote, unquote, work. I drew the line at about 30%. Because I like to travel and I really like to hike and I like to get out and do things. And so I, um, I'm actually on uh, some board of advisors uh, doing a little bit of work. I'm actually doing some volunteer work. Um, but I really I drew that line at about 30 percent of keeping busy. And I'm also doing some traveling, like I said, and going out and doing some hiking. I found, you know, working as as an advisor um, to industry. I've learned how much industry doesn't know about the budget cycle. Um, about the actual operations and the connectedness of the federal government. So I've been able to, I think, bring some value to some of the boards of advisors and, and push back on some things like, you don't really want to do that. <laughs> so that's actually been a lot of fun. That's very cool. And I mean, it's important to have people like that on the outside who can help connect the dots between the the, the feds and, and the folks on the outside in the uh, in the business space who are, you know, looking to provide those services. So that that's great to hear. Um, you know, I'd love to, you know, just kind of run through, uh, you know, some of the really trending topics that are going on in today's space and just kind of hear your thoughts on some of them as a former federal, longtime federal CIO. And as I mentioned, you know, most recently in the office of federal CIO. And, um, you know, as you'll know, there's been a lot of policy updates that have recently come out of OMB and the office of the federal CIO. The big one is the, the AI guidance that corresponds with the, the executive order that came out late last year. But obviously there's other things like new FedRAMP guidance that's kind of being workshopped right now and some, some digital experience things. So I'd love to get your take on, you know, the kind of culmination of all those things and why it's, you know, maybe strategic or important that they're all kind of occurring at the same time in, in this administration. Yeah. Cause you had the, you know, the big, the big, that's a great question. Cause you had the big executive order come out last year, right. Around AI and that's very sweeping and it's very broad brush. And now you've got OMB working on, okay, what does this mean for the federal agencies? The draft guidance came out. People have to appoint chief AI officers, which, you know, people knew that was coming. It's like, okay, here's the next thing that that's coming down, down the pipe. But, but when you really look at it, right. How do you, how do you take that guidance? You really have to operationalize it as a CIO and you don't want to reinvent the wheel in so many areas, right? How do you incorporate AI into like your, your life cycle processes, your development, your system, your, your life cycle processes across the agency. And I think that's um, a little bit of the hard part is really bringing that operational aspect in when somebody says, oh, I want to do a cool new thing or I found something. And it's not really about the tools. It's about the capability 
for the agency or multiple agencies or the federal government, you know, as as agencies are working together and really thinking through how AI can um, really enhance the mission, not just, you know, it's a new, cool, shiny object. When you look at things like um, Copilot that's built into Microsoft, right? How that can really help around productivity um, when you're using AI around policies and things like that, how do you stop reinventing the wheel and you can draw on things and do your research and do your inquiries without having to, to again, reinvent that wheel. So a huge amount of opportunities, but as a CIO, you have to think about how do you bring those new capabilities into your existing processes, whether it's security, cybersecurity, like I said, the SDLC, the governance models, all of that, you have to bring all of that in. And I know the guidance um, is looking for agencies to stand up executive steering committees or something similar with their chief AI officer to make sure that the governance structure and that that those capabilities are managed. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's it's worth noting, you mentioned security as part of that, um, that a, a big topic in the, in the space and the big, you can call it a concern or, or some, you know, a challenge for, for CIOs is trying to maximize the benefits by while also being mindful of, of the risks that come with, um, you know, not reinventing the wheel and going with some of those commercial innovative AI models. So how would you as a CIO or how, how, how do you think CIOs should think about, you know, balancing that risk and that reward? Um, you know, so it's really, uh, when you look at AI, it's really about the business. I think it's a business topic because it's, it's got some big implications around, you know, uh, the, the mission of the agency and the strategy and how do you use those tools, you know, from a technical perspective to support your strategy, if you will. Um, uh, and, and, uh, what I'm trying to say is, you know, taking taking the strategy, the big mission thing, how do you apply AI to do things better, right? So when you have an agency that processes, say, uh, claims, or they have to make many other decisions through, um, uh, and they're doing that manually now, how can you use AI for that decision-making to be far more effective, right? Than having to manually search through whether it's policy, and start eliminating the mistakes. So this is where, you know, the, the tactical of the AI meets the strategic of, great, now we've got the agency and they're better able to, to respond to claims, right? Or issues that are coming in or requests that are coming in that maybe some of them are repetitive and then getting the data and training the models. And that just eliminates uh, a lot of mistakes. And, and think about that when you have a lot of mistakes or you have inherent mistakes or bias that does introduce um, a, a lot of risks within the within that people think about. Right. You know, even when you have manual processes, I think AI just amplifies um, those risks because it, it highlights those even more. I think they existed and maybe people didn't think about it. Right. Big organizations have. Um, you know, across the government, you know, big agencies, every agency has a risk management board. These risks existed, like I said, and 
And how do you take that governance structure around risk management, incorporate some of those things, right? Financial services, you know, do they have bias in any of their their processes and their algorithms? Can AI uncover those? And maybe those are risks that people just don't know about already. This is where the memorandum really put some of those guardrails in place to safeguard the customer data, right? The American public or employee data or whatever that data is coming in and, and protecting the public from any damaging uh, outputs or advice or <laughs> any any of those outputs outputs that are coming out. Um, uh, it just, it will help facilitate decision-making. I think the risks have already, have been there and AI is in some instances is just really amplifying some of that. But when you look at the rewards, I'm going to maybe give you an example of, of a challenge that, that I had um, as a CIO at SBA, right? I had um, our communications people used to go out all the time, right? And take videos, Uh, go out, take videos of the administrator, people out doing public speaking. Now I have hours and hours and hundreds and thousands of hours of videos all over the place. It's on people's cameras. It's on, um, you know, share drives. It's on people's computers. How do I get my arms around all of that data? This is the big reward, right? Using AI to surface all of that data. And if I want to search through thousands of hours of video and highlight just the administrator and pinpoint that, you've got AI that can do that for me and transcribe it if I'm looking for a certain word. Say the administrator said a thing and you went, I got to find that. Well, how do you search through thousands of hours when you don't remember what it was? This is the rewards piece of it, that you can do things much more quickly. Um, and, and I'll tell you that I'm working with a company who's really, um, I wish I had their technology when I was the CIO, because I can see the rewards around this. Um, and what are the risks around something like that? I'd be hard pressed to find it other than, you know, these videos that somebody takes with their camera is they're out in public may have other people's pictures in it, right. Of the crowds and things like that. So you have to be cognizant of safeguarding that if you have, you know, video of, of other people, but the benefits certainly would have helped me as, as a CIO. Uh, no doubt. Uh, that's very interesting to hear and a great perspective. Um, you know, th- thinking about another topic that was something you worked on during your time uh, in the federal government was FedRAMP. You, you, you worked on FedRAMP at a uh, earlier part of your career. And I'm curious, you know, with all that's going on in the evolution of FedRAMP these days, <clears throat> in terms of the, the latest OMB guidance to sort of evolve that, um, what your thoughts are on uh, kind of the status of, of that evolution and where it will bring federal cloud security once it kind of gets across the finish line? Yeah, the guidance was pretty, uh, pretty straightforward, Billy, when you think about it, right? GSA has to figure out a framework for prioritizing any critical emerging technology offerings within within the authorization process, right? And and they and within the guidance, it said starting with generative AI offering. Um, and I think between, you know, FedRAM's got to look at that. NIST is responsible for the risk management framework. They've come out with, you know, information around that and guidance as well. And how do you how do you overlay? How do you take something like um, 
you know, FISMA for cloud, which is what FedRAMP is, and how do you um, add on what um, a framework on top of that, right? Uh, essentially a layer on top of the current framework for FedRAMP that incorporates controls around AI. Now there's, you know, um, there's been work already done. I've seen from industry. This is this is something that, you know, with me working more with industry now, I get more insights into what they're doing. And I've seen the overlays for FedRAMP around AI and, and how you take, and this is what I said earlier, you know, you have existing governance structures, you have existing processes. What do you have to do to change to incorporate? And with FedRAMP, I think some of that's the same thing. How do you just add on to what you have or modify what you have and have an overlay for AI so that you can prioritize those cloud providers and those tools um, that agencies are going to want to use? Um, so this is going to be a challenge for FedRAMP, and it's going to take a lot of input from industry as well as NIST and other super smart people to think about what that overlay looks like. That's really interesting. And, you know, as we keep on the kind of central, not the central topic, but the kind of thread that is tying this all together is really AI. And, um, you know, agencies want to get that AI. They want to be able to contract and procure it. Um, one way that we've seen agencies do more of that is through the Technology Modernization Fund. And just curious, you know, you also played a role on uh, the TMF while you were still in the federal government and um, how the TMF can play a role in maybe speeding up the adoption of AI and things of that nature. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at the TMF, right, the uh, look at it over time, every time there's an executive order, oh, you have to prioritize. So uh, 14028 was the executive order around cybersecurity. Guess what? TMF, we've got to prioritize projects that are going to use TMF dollars for um, cybersecurity. And then last year, well, a year and a half ago, the CX executive order came out, right? Oh, we've got uh, um, CX, uh, the life experiences. We're, we're going to prioritize in the TMF projects that are really focused on customer experience. Now, here comes the next round of guidance. Oh, AI. Now we're going to prioritize our funding around projects with AI. Do you, do you, you know, part of the challenge with the board is how are you incorporating all of these elements to come out with the right things that are going to be funded for agencies? Not that it's a discrete AI project, but will this AI project improve the customer experience and do you, is there funding that's needed to, again, shore up the cybersecurity that's going to be around it, like the data, the data collection or any of that? So the TMF boards really, it's not going to be, oh, we've got an AI, a bright, shiny project for an agency that's going to help their mission. But is it going, I think it needs to be considered that, that will, will that project help with a customer experience? for the public or someone, how is that going to help the mission? Is it going to help the public and marry up, marry those things up? And I think that's, that's, that's going to be something the board's going to have to look hard at, not just an AI shiny project. That's, I, I love the way you put that and kind of feeds into another question or thought I, I've been having lately is, you know, security and, and, that that citizen experience, that customer experience element, um, are often pitted at odds with one another. Not it's not always the case, but a lot of times they're at the sacrifice of the other. Enhanced security often 
can lead to less of a user experience or vice versa. So, um, you know, with that in mind, you just described, I think, pretty eloquently the, the need for sort of balance. So how does a federal CIO or other IT practitioner in government think about balancing those things? Because those are, you know, outside of AI, really the, the sort of pillars of, of federal IT lately is, is that enhanced cybersecurity and the need for enhanced citizen experience at the same time. So how do you kind of make sure you can marry both of those things together? Yeah, I liked how you put it put it earlier, um, Billy. We talked about security requirements and a and a delightful <laughs> customer experience, right? Yeah. And I, single sign on is is one of those things. Agencies have really uh, pushed for uh, whether it's through login.gov or any of the other tools out there to really make it easy for the public. But I also think that um, you know you, the the cyber the CX executive order really focused on, you know, a number of life experiences. And you can see those up on performance.gov. And I was actually looking at them about a month or so ago to see progress on it. And the when you think about the life experiences, and not just those, but many of the others, agencies touch each other, right? There is data and information that moves from agency to agency. So the federal enterprise, there is a connectedness. So when you're serving the public, it's it's not necessarily one agency that has all the information to support a citizen. Oftentimes, or sometimes, the information comes from another agency. So when you're thinking about those cyber requirements and you want a good um, UX, you need the data and how do you access the data? You don't have to move the data, but how do you access the data so that there's a one-stop shop for the, the, the public, for that citizen when they're interacting with the government? They put yourself in your, in, in your non-government, you know, in deep in the government, in your Joe Q public somewhere. When you think about the government, you know, you could be interacting with FEMA, or you could be interacting with the IRS, or you could be interacting with, you know, Social Security, any of those agencies, or U.S. Patent and Trademark. People on the outside think, oh, I had a bad experience with the government. Well, how do you improve that experience if you can't get to the right data to be able to, to solve those inquiries? that are coming in and to layer on top of that, how do you use AI? We talked about this a few minutes ago, right? How do you use AI for those requests or claims or those other things to go out and reach other agencies or even within your own department, within components or bureaus or optives or whatever you want to call them? (laughs) How do you reach into those? And how do you use AI to be able to touch that data to get a much quicker and more accurate response to the public? And and the opportunity, you know, you've got security, right? You have to keep the data safe. Who has access to it? Then you've got customer experience. You're trying to deliver a good experience for the public. And then you also want to be able to access what you need around the data. All of these things go together, but in a you know, in, in where my head thinks of, I think of all of this and opportunities that, that, you know, security does not mean you can't do a thing. 
um, that you can't have a good uh, customer experience, that you can't access the data. It's about how do you get to yes and how do you use AI that we talked about earlier to get to that good customer experience. The public doesn't care about all the underlying things. They just want an answer to their claim, if you will, or their mm-hmm. request. That makes sense. And I, again, I love that sort of triumvirate, that merging of those three things, the AI, the, the CX and the cyber all together. I think it's, uh, you know, it speaks volumes to why the administration sort of tackling them all at once and why it's also important. And I also wanted to add on that that UX doesn't mean it has the experience has to be digital, right? It doesn't Absolutely. have to be digital. It, it that part of that is the in person, um, and you know I I use my mom as the example frequently, right? There's things she will not do online, and you know she was on the phone with somebody not too long ago, um, and they wanted her to do something online, and she said, "I don't do that." Um, and they immediately changed tone and said, oh, well, we can help you with that, right? So that was a good customer experience because they just didn't say, well, the only way you can do this is online. They immediately pivoted and said, oh, I can help you do it another way. Um, That's great. That's a great anecdote. Yeah. And it, it really speaks volumes, again, to that that sort of modern experience and, and being multi-channel and, and meeting people where they are, which I think is incredibly important. Uh, Maria, so as we come down the home stretch here in this conversation, um, you know, just uh, it, it's it's super early on. So forgive me for going in this direction, but it's an election year, even though it's only February and we're, uh, you know, <laughs> nine months away from November at this point, eight and a half months. But would love to hear, you know, just because it does um, kind of create a bit of chaos within the federal space for some uh, when there is an election and potential transition. Um, if you're a CIO within the federal government, how are you thinking about and approaching this this next period of time up to the election um, and the possibility of a transition which may, you know, change leadership or priorities for, for your agency? Yeah, you know, every, every presidential, you know, election year brings its, its, you said chaos, but I'll just say challenges and opportunities. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for, you know, from a CIO perspective, you know, the, the work will continue. The work will continue. But you also have to think about, well, my administrator, my department, you know, the political appointees are going to roll out. So at some point, you know, there may be hiring freezes. So you have to be prepared for that. You have to be prepared, you know, and it's a little early now, but come fall time when the election hits, okay, we've got new people coming in. You need to brief them on what your plans are, what your long-term plans are, what you're supporting today. Um, it's, and, and I know agencies are already thinking, you know, where they have political appointees as CIO. Okay, who's going to step up? Is it going to be the deputy that's going to be enacting? And for how long will that deputy or whoever comes in um, whoever's appointed as the acting CIO, um, how long are they going to be in that position? Because you've seen during some administration changes where the CIO is acting for, you know, more than six months or eight months or even a year. Mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared, you know, from a, a federal um, employee perspective that there will be turmoil, there will be hiring freezes, that generally happens every every election. Um, as soon as somebody comes in, we're going to have a hiring freeze. So you really have to plan ahead now 
um, with your budget and whatever, you know, that you have to say, you know what, I'm not going to wait until fall time to do this hire. I need to get these things in place now because there's going to be a freeze. And if there's a freeze that's more than a week or more than a month, if it goes long-term, then we're not going to be able to meet the mission. So you have to, there has to be a balance in there as far as timing and, and getting prepped and, and ready. And then even, even as transition teams are forming for prior to the election, right? What information do you have to provide, um, you know, in those binders, if you will, electronic binders, um, with all the public in, information that's publicly available to be able to provide to the transition team so that they can prep because they're going to want to have policies ready to roll or executive orders as soon as they take over an office. So uh, all of that work is going to be underway and it requires a lot of input and manpower, not just from the CIO, but for the entire agency. Well, even though it's February, it sounds like it's never too early to maybe think about that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, I was going to say OMB's, you know, thinking all, they should be thinking at some point about, okay, what are, you know, as it gets closer to election, what are those one pagers that we need to have ready for the transition teams about what the priority items are or potential policy recommendations, or maybe, you know, how do you uh, laws up on the Hill, you know, legislation, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's remarkable, even though. Yeah. Federal agencies, for the most part, are, are you know nonpartisan uh, and, and independent. It, it you know there's these uh, things that connect them to the politics of it all, regardless yeah. of of the politics. There's still the challenges. preparations, a lot of work. Yes, for sure. Well, Maria, I think this has been a fantastic conversation as always, um, and really appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you. And um, you know, we'll definitely. Uh, you know, surely our cross, our paths will cross again in the near future, but it's been great to, to hear what's going on and that you're still uh, as, as connected as ever, if, if not, <laughs> although maybe tapped at 30%, you're still well connected and well versed in the space. So really appreciate your thoughts. Great. Thanks so much, Billy. You can learn more about federal tech policy at the Daily Scoop podcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back Thursday with a brand new episode. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.